0: Well good morning everyone and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M and I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Today's Tuesday, it's December the fifth, twenty seventeen, and this is the ten AM Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book in the chapter The Doctor's Opinion and we'll be reading and commenting on page X XIX, beginning with the fourth paragraph, which is the last paragraph, beginning, I do not hold with those, and we're going to continue for two paragraphs on page XXX, paragraph one, which ends with sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And we're going to read and comment on those two. This morning's... uh, Readers are, for the 12 Steps, Melissa C.K., the 12 Traditions, Robin S.B. The readers of the text will be Mary H., Elaine T., and Sherry K.B. Our newcomer greeter is Melanie C. I have two share IDs for you. They're five-digit numbers for yesterday, December 4th. The 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,751. That's 10,751. And today's Tuesday, December 5th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,756. And that's 10,756. I will now ask Melissa C.K. to please read the 12 steps.
1: Good morning, may I be heard? Yes. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for allowing me to do service. I pass.
0: And thank you, Melissa, for doing service. And uh, now I'm going to ask, please, Robin S.B., to
2: please read OA's 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Robin S.B., and these are the 12 Traditions of Readers Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. I pass.
0: And thank you so much, Robin S.B., for your service, How Our Meeting Works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Well, today we're going to resume our study of the big book and the doctor's opinion. And we're going to be, I'm going to ask Mary H. to begin reading paragraph page XXIX, beginning with paragraph four. I do not hold with those.
3: Good morning. This is Mary H., Recovered here in Northern California. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the, no, yeah, they took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomena of craving all at once became paramount to all other interests, so that the important appointment was not met. Mm-hmm. These men were not drinking to escape; they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomena of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to, rather than continue to fight. Oy-yay-yay. So, yes, this is um, boy, it kind of moved me this morning to read this when I think about um what Dr. Silkworth had to put on the line to say this, you know, right in the beginning, he says, "I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. He's saying other people you know this is this is a very unusual." Um, belief that he has and understanding that he has that that this is not about mental control. And he's putting himself out on a limb to say this. And as we know, you know, he didn't even put his name in this book for a while because um, really it it was so controversial. And also, I think about how it's still controversial. Controversial. You know, I um, even within myself with the disease I'm learning that there's an allergy and that it's not my fault and that it's not willpower and it's not it's beyond my mental control and there's still part of me that wants to believe that that's not true and then when I look outside in the community and the culture it's also telling me no 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 this is this is all about mental control it's all about willpower and um You know, it's just such a strong belief. And I'm so relieved as a real compulsive overeater to understand that it isn't my fault. And um, boy, what a a change of events that has set for me to be able to, um, you know, really grab onto the solution. And the last part I want to just say is that these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Well, it reminds me of, and more about alcoholism when we go into depth into two examples with Jim and Fred, where Jim is drinking because he lost everything, and he drinks, which I could totally understand. So of course I would eat when things are bad, and when you know I have a million excuses when I've lost things, when I'm in fear, when Bad things are happening. But then we look at Fred, and he's got everything, and and he still drinks. And that's, I think, what this paragraph is referring to is the guy that took the drink when there was a business deal that was favorable to him, and he still drank. So it's, it's, it's showing me that no matter what. I'm going to drink. It doesn't matter what excuses there are because it's beyond that, that I have this allergy that's just going to keep driving me back. And, of course, the mental obsession. So with that, I pass, and thank you for
0: letting me do service. And thank you so much, Mary H. Okay, we're going to open up the meeting for comments on these two paragraphs, starting on page XXIX, the last paragraph. Who would like to be up now? Shannon S. Uh. Shannon S. Is it S as in Sam? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And who else would like to comment?
4: Karen, Karen R T from, from North Karen,
0: Carolina. Karen R, is that yeah. what you said? Yes, thank you. North Carolina. And then there was another woman.
4: Um, Kelly T. Kelly T? Yeah.
0: Oh I'm doing good, huh? Hmm. <laughs> Wait. Kathleen O. Oh, and Kathleen O. Good. Nice and clear. And Wendy M? And Wendy M. Bingo. Okay, let's go with those five. Shannon S., you're up.
5: Good morning. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Great job with the names. Um Shannon S. recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic in New York. Um those so that paragraph really brought up two things for me um that I wanted to talk about. One was pressure and the other is shame. Um, first off, you know, where it's saying that these men did not drink to escape. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. And um the description of, you know, it's not just about us being mentally defective. We have a physical allergy. And so before recovery and even into recovery when I did not understand the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, um aspects of this disease, I was always trying to control circumstances, I was always trying to control situations because if I just um, was able to get in the best mental spot or if I was in the best situation, well then I wasn't going to eat. Well, everybody who knows on this line what it feels like to, to try to play God. It is exhausting, it is frustrating and it is impossible. And so once I understand this, it takes a lot of pressure off me because I don't have to control it. I can cease fighting, like it says on page 84. I don't have to fight anymore. And so then this hold of food doesn't um, have that hold on me, and I can actually admit my powerlessness and turn it over to God, and, um, and my higher power can be in control over this. So huge pressure off my shoulders. The other part is uh, my son has a tree nut allergy. Never once does he come to me and says, Mom, I feel so bad about myself. If I eat, you know, pick your tree nut, whatever it is, my throat is gonna close up and I'm gonna go into anaphylactic shock. I'm, there's something wrong with me. I feel so bad about myself. He does not experience that shame one bit. What he gets upset about, he's a seven year old boy, is uh, that he can have some things that other people can. Um, but he doesn't feel that shame. Now for me as a compulsive reader, how long did I feel shame? Did I beat myself up against the wall? Did I hammer myself? You know, um, and did I believe those lies that something's wrong with me and I'm a defective human? But again, once I understand this allergy, just like my son did not ask to have that tree nut allergy, I did not ask to have this um, allergy to my my alcoholic foods. So for me beating myself up is uh, is not going to help anything. What is the answer? Entire abstinence and working this program. So um, today I can be free of the food over me, and I can be free of the shame and the guilt and the lies that the disease wants to me to believe because I understand the truth today. Thank you so much, everybody, and I can't.
0: And thank you so much, Shannon S. Okay, Karen R. from North Carolina. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, this is Karen R. Compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic here in North Carolina, and I want to thank everybody who's shared so far, and the people that were that are working <laughs> to keep our our meeting going. And um, feeling a lot of gratitude, and I'm apologize for the background noise. I got my son right next to me. Um, feeling gratitude, and also feeling. Um, blessed to have this program and regarding the reading it just it just reminds me that i'm different i am different from other people and that's okay (laughs) you know um and i have tools today because i was able to accept my powerlessness over the food and then i'm different and that i react differently to it (laughs) mentally physically spiritually um I can, I have the tools today, I can recover, I have that option, and almost piggybacking on what was said before, it's like, I have the truth today, and with the truth, there comes hope, uh, fighting this on my own, I wasn't getting anywhere, and it was just becoming this dark cloud in my beautiful life, uh, just shadowing over stuff and, and killing me, killing me without me even knowing it. Uh, and today I'm free of that. I am free. I am so free because because the first step, you know, the first step and then the, the ones that follow. <laughs> but the first step is what I need to be able to follow through with the rest of the steps, Um 'Cause I'm not gonna do all that work. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do my inventory, I'm not gonna share with people, I'm not gonna do my ten step daily, you know, all I'm not gonna do all that stuff unless I have the truth about myself, which is I have to do it. <laughs> if I want serenity, if I wanna get closer to God, if I wanna live free of the food, then I have to work this program and then give it away to others. So you just Good to be on um, the meeting this morning. Thank you for listening. with that, I pass.
0: And thank you, Karen R. Okay, Kelly T., it's your turn. Hello. Hello, Kelly.
4: Hi. I, I'm Kelly um, T. Um, from New York City, a compost over Eater. Um, wow, this is... mental control um i remember when before when i was trying to control thinking that i had the control of food and at one point i was anorexic and i was trying to control everything i ate and in a year i was able to do so but of course the disease is so cunning i went back to the food and it just got worse it never gets better it just gets worse and um I remember mean, in program, like I would be why can't I put the food down like i always I will always um bring out the bat instead of the feather and now that i've I've been in the vision for you for a while, um I'll be picking up the feather and I mean more in acceptance that it's not my fault that I have this illness that I, um that I was you know I was born with this disease, you know, and I'm powerless over certain foods, and that's okay because I have a program and I have higher power that's going to help me get through through life. I don't have to control anything anymore. I could re- relax now. I can't, you know, and before I was always exhausted because I was always trying to play God, and that never worked. And um, it always goes back to the first step, like it was said before here, like my per- accepting my powerlessness and letting go. And also... Um, the last sentence like like I wasn't like this craving it was unstoppable because i I had no spiritual um growth, I had no connection with a higher power, so of course i went, every night I couldn't go to bed, I had to eat something because the cravings was there, and I couldn't stay stopped, you know, so um I'm just really grateful that I found recovery in the rooms um thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Kelly T. All right, Kathleen O, your turn. Good
7: morning. Thank you, Janice, for your service. This is Kathleen O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. So I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. So, you know, he talks about um, they took a drink or they took a drink or so prior to the date. And then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. So this happened to Bill Wilson. Um, He had a business deal and he, you know, needed to stay sober, but he made a decision to take a drink and it triggered the allergy and he blew the deal. Um, So, you know, it's not just a mental, this kind of proves that it's, it's twofold because we do make a decision, but why do we make that decision, you know? And, um, <clears throat> and I know, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, the, there the way to get rid of the, um, you know, to, to not, to be able to put down the food, or I have to put down the food so that I'm not constantly wanting the food and, and the way to keep it down, and not set up that phenomenon of craving is to continue, you know, to do this work. And, you know, on like on page 33, you know, I can't have any lurking notion that someday I'm going to be immune to alcohol. Um, you know, this is, um, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, and, and it's something I need to work on every day. And that's the thing I can't forget. Um, you know, p- people who are bodybuilders, they, they work out all the time and they have these muscles. Well, you know, they don't. They don't decide. Well, I'm going to stop doing this, and my muscles are going to stay this way. I mean, we've got to keep working. I've got to keep working my recovery muscles. Um, you know, I need to do this work every day because otherwise, I those those thoughts creep in. I get that amnesia that comes up. That you know what? I think I can do this like other people. You know, those people are doing this. I can do this. And um, so there is this weird head trip going on, and. And you know, as soon as I pick up, this allergy sets in, and then and then everything is a big mess again. So, um, you know, for me, it really is daily work. It's um, it's working with others. It's staying connected to a higher power. And when I do that, I just I don't I don't have the cravings. I don't you know want to eat, and and that is so different than any other thing I've ever tried. And thank you, I pass.
0: And thank you, Kathleen O. Okay, Wendy M. It's your turn.
4: Yes,
8: good morning. Sorry about that. It's Wendy M. Uh, recovered in Colorado. Grateful to be here, and Jamis, thank you for your service and everybody on the line. And I always want to remember to thank God every morning for the absence I have this morning. So there's a couple things that um, that made sense to me. One is this paramount to all other interests. And what that reminds me of is I'm at the party. I'm looking at the buffet. Somebody wants my attention and I'm pretending to listen to them, but I, but my attention is completely focused on the food at the party or if I'm at a restaurant and this, this was all before I did vision for you, you know, or I'm at the restaurant and I'm wondering if that person's going to be, you know, finishing that piece of whatever. Um, And maybe I could have some and I'm the point being that I'm completely checked out. And then my interests are completely and utterly on the food. Um, And then my other, one of my most favorite lines is this one about, um, uh, they were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And what I love about that, and I say this to sponsors all the time, is I don't want the Oreo cookie because I want the taste of the Oreo cookie. And that was true for the first eight seconds. But after that, it sets up a craving and I, have to have the Oreo cookie to overcome the craving. So it's the craving, and, and what I love about that is that when I read it for the first time, it, 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 it explained a behavior, right, and an obsession that was never explained to me before, and it's so deeply satisfying to have that behavior explained, um, you know. And it, it was great to explain it, but at the bottom of the page, as we'll, we'll come to very soon, it's the entire abstinence that matters, not an explanation. An explanation is great and satisfying, but, um, but it's the entire abstinence, right, because it's a program of action, not a program of thinking. Um, and so I so I particularly love that. Um, but I need to say, too, that, and as everyone has said, we put the food down, then the feelings come up, you know. And I have been craving control and craving um you know, almost binging on control lately and binging on fear. And, you know, the program says get to some writing, you know, do do a four step on it. So I've been doing a fourth step on many things. I haven't stopped writing. Um, And that is what's going to get me free of that mental obsession. And that's what will get me free of the binging on the controlling and the binging on the fear um, is getting to that honesty in my writing. Um, And when I do that, I get freedom. And that's what this is all about for me. So thanks for letting me share it.
0: And thank you so much, Wendy. Just a reminder that for those that maybe came in a little later, that we're on page XXIX. We're on the last paragraph, which is paragraph four. I do not hold with those. And we're reading a first paragraph on the next page, XXX, ending with sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Now, who would like to comment on that? One to one mute.
9: Reggie. O Sherry KB.
10: Reggie
7: R.
0: R. Sherry KB. I heard a gentleman. John K. Oh, John K. Okay. Okay, John K. Uh, Anybody else?
11: Gracie R.
0: Gracie R. Oh, everybody is so kind and understanding. One more. (laughs) Let's get one more. (laughs) Anybody else? Melanie C. Melanie C. Good group. Okay. They're all good groups. Okay. Reggie. Oh, you're up.
7: Thanks. Can you hear me, Janice?
0: I can hear you well.
7: Great. Great. Thank you so much for your service. It's great to be here with everybody on the call this morning. And uh, my name is Reggie. Oh, and I'm grateful to recover in the Los Angeles area. And this you know, this first paragraph speaks to me of like both both aspects of the you know the disease of alcoholism or compulsive eating, and that is the allergy and the mental obsession. Uh, it's that uh, you know many if uh, I've had many men who had worked for a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them, but they took a drink a day or so prior to the day, to the date, and then after they took the drink, the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount and you know that that paragraph is really what brought me into a vision for you uh not not that paragraph but that, that what's in that paragraph and um uh, it was um i think it was like late late july of 2016 and uh mid to late july and i um uh, and i had this wonderful professional opportunity uh which i said yes to for the end of september and and some part of me knew I wasn't eating compulsively at the time, but I wasn't involved in any program, but some part, thank God, some part of me said, you know, wow, you could really blow this. You know, I could blow it by picking up beforehand. You know, I could blow it by not being able to prepare for this. I could blow it by not being present during the day when I would really need to be connecting with a lot of people. And, and I knew about division for you and, um, and I just, Picked up, you know, it was four o'clock for me at that time. So I started listening to the daily, uh, to the daily me- meetings and recordings, and I thought it was really great. And uh, and then I thought, but you know, I don't, I don't know, if, I don't know if I really need to work the steps again. I've done them a lot, in the, you know, I've done them several times in the past. I don't know if I have time to do it, et cetera, And uh, you know, the second week I started listening to live meetings, and pretty soon I picked up again. I picked up the food and. And then I knew that I did not have time uh not to work the steps, so I got a sponsor and was you know very very deeply working the steps by the time that event came around you know and it turned out it turned out to be good but i I'll tell you if i had if I had not done that and if I had picked up, I don't know where it would have led me you know I could have blown this very very significant things because uh i never know when where i have never known where the craving would take me and a part of my disease has been fan, uh fantasy you know this, this fantasy life and uh that well i'll just wake up and it will be gone and uh so it didn't take me out and it didn't take me out you know because i started working the steps and once i did i didn't pick up that first bite and it all worked out to go to avail so just really grateful and I can so totally relate to this paragraph many times in my life and uh, grateful that I have the, you know, grateful that I have the, what I have today, the the recovery and the way, the way uh, of life that will help me to never have to do that again uh, and I'll pass with that.
0: Mm. And thank you, Reggio, and thanks everybody for keeping the time. Boy, Sherry, KB, please go ahead. Good morning,
7: Janice. Good
12: morning everybody. Sherry KB in Northern California. Uh very grateful, recovered, compulsive a reader. Um thank you so much for your service, Janice, and everybody on the line, and welcome to newcomers. And I'm so glad we're in the doctor's opinion and the timing of the holidays and everything is this is just so perfect because um here it's saying that those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control, that is that you know it's not true. Um because once the phenomenon of craving is set up, um, the mental control, is is there's nothing there um, because the mental obsession kicks in and everything becomes unimportant and the most important thing becomes the food. That's what has been my experience. I can remember, I can so relate and identify into this when it talks about important appointments or important events or important things that I wanted to do and be there and lost the weight to... Uh, look good to to be able to go to an event or a, a whatever, and then I'd be face down the food and all of that went out the window. I didn't care everything else just went away it didn't matter all it was was it was me and the food and I can't tell you how many times when I look back if i didn't if somebody said do a four step on all this stuff that you did with the food um and how you did it and how you harmed yourself i mean it's amazing to me when I look back. And even says in the book somewhere, look at let's look at the record. And so when I look at my record, um, you know, it fits right in here for me. And that, you know, once the phenomenon of craving kicks in, I have no control against the first bite. Once I do that, no, I, I mean I have control against the first bite if I choose to pick up and if I'm if I'm working the steps, I have a pause button. And I've been told that the longer we work the steps, the longer the pause button gets by a second. To not take that first bite, if I am in the step work, then the mental obsession is removed, and and I know not to pick up, but if I am trying to do this by myself, which I have tried to do so many times the the mental obsession always won the if I take ingest um you know my alcoholic foods, and that's what they mean by entire abstinence to me, I get so many calls, people asking me what do you mean by entire abstinence? And to me, that means you put your alcoholic foods down. The food is down. All those uh, compulsive food behaviors, the ingredients, the trigger foods, alcoholic foods, binge foods, whatever you want to call them, they must be down in order to work the steps, in order for for my higher power to get in there and to remove the mental obsession and to get unblocked so that I can live a happy, joy-free, neutral, around-the-food life. And that's what happens when we get into this work. Um, that we do get unblocked. But it is our job to put the food down. And then for me, my higher power keeps me abstinent. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you. Did you pass, Sherry KB? I was unmuting.
12: Good, Janice. Thank you.
0: Yes, okay. Thank you so much. Okay, John K., it's your turn.
13: Good morning. I'm John Karen, Recovered Compulsive o from Los Angeles. Um, you know, the line that hits me is that make the supreme sacrifice rather than to continue to fight. You know, this is a deadly disease and it isn't the deadly disease over in AA. You know, it's a deadly disease here. You know, I get kidded over in AA sometimes about my food thing and I tell them, hey, I've buried two sponsees in my food programs not and none in my uh, my AA program and, one, you know, one guy died of a heart attack uh, in the middle of a relapse. Another was so big he couldn't get out of a fire, you know, and that's, you know, I, I, you know, guys know me, you know, I, I, I'm a very funny person. I take myself not seriously at all, but I take this disease deadly seriously. And when I think of all the people I've known over the years who are dead as a result of this disease, the largest group was those who uh, committed suicide because it gets to you, it just wears you down. And You know, the the main thrust of this chapter is that this is a disease. I mean, that was a revolutionary thought then. But you know what? It isn't as much now. And a lot of that has to do with this book and AA and Dr. Silkworth. You know, that thought that came from AA grew. And as more and more scientific work was done, it proved what Dr. Silk was saying long before they had it. You know, we sort of have a special kind of disorder with addiction. It combines both mental and physical things together. You know, it's sort of like some other disorders like epilepsy and and schizophrenia that through medical devices, they can look at the brain and see the basis for these disorders. And now they can do that with addiction as well. You know, and, you know, it's always said knowledge of our disease will not cure us, which is absolutely true. But for me and for this, this person with this sort of logical brain, it helps me to understand that. You know, yes, at the end of the day, the recovery still comes from a spiritual experience that will only happen with the help of my higher power. But, you know, knowing that stuff about my disease now removes one of my disease's main weapons, which is guilt. You know, my disease has a large armory of weapons it can use against me, and one of them is guilt and self-shaming. You know, I mean, how many times did I beat myself up after picking up again? And my disease knew that it could convince me I'm a horrible person and make me feel really terrible. There's only one solution for an addict like me. You go get into more food. And, and to, you know, part of me is like, I don't deserve to recover. Well, today I get it. I have a disease, you know. And I still need a power greater than myself to help me with my problem, you know. But like everyone else who has any kind of disease, I got to take my medicine. And, and this is it. We're on it right now. Part of our medicine, going to meetings, other parts for me are having a sponsor, taking direction from that sponsor you know, doing service, doing writing, continuing to work the steps. And that's the key, you know. And I continue to work on that maintenance of a fit spiritual condition because it's the only way I can stay out of that miserable thing. Because I really think if I pick up, I can't guarantee I'll be one of those people that other people will be talking about at meetings. Gee, do you remember, John, he was doing so well and then got in the food and couldn't take it anymore. And with that, I pass.
0: And thank you so much, John K., Gracie, R, ah, it's your turn. Star one to one mute.
5: Hi, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you now. Oh, yeah. perfect.
11: Thank you so much. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Uh, this is Gracie R. I'm out of New York. And I just quickly wanted to uh, talk about this because this always gets me. I've spent so much time trying to uh, understand why this guy would drink in the first place. Um, And you think it would be very obvious to a food addict why this guy would pick up before a really important event. Um, But what really hit me this morning was looking at the page before where it says to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. And I'm reminded of what it was like before recovery and how painful it was to live life. It was just every single day it was like I had this lens on that told me that the only time I'm going to feel happy or relieved from the stress and the pressure and the overwhelm and the anxiety of life is to eat. That was my only savior during that time and life was really unbearable and just absolutely too hard to live. Um, And once I picked up the food, it was like the shame and the remorse afterward were completely overwhelming. And you just feel caught in a catch-22. And I love that Dr. Silkworth says that this isn't an issue of mental control. And um, it's so funny because I'm looking at my big book and it looks like, I mean, you can see my ob- obsession. You can see my, uh, you know, OCD all over this book because I have so many notes um, that aren't related to vision meetings and, you know, really good substantial notes. These are my own ramblings about what I'm, dis- you know, dissecting in this text. And it just shows me how, um, you know, how intellectually I think I know what's best for myself. And with Dr. Silkworth's is telling us is that our our mental capacity isn't really helping us with this disease um for me just simply breaking down what our disease is what the problem is is I don't feel good until I eat or partake in my food behaviors I don't feel normal and at the same time when I pick up I can't stop and I hate myself more and it's a non-stop cycle um and You know, what we can do is we can be abstinent, we can put down our food and our food behaviors and deal with the emotional side. But I feel, at least it's been my experience, that my brain will always back up my subconscious. It will always back up whatever emotions I'm feeling. It will justify me. It'll make me seem so unique, so victimized, so utterly hopeless that I have to eat. And that's the disease that. I live with. And it's also amazing how now in recovery, um, living in 10, 11, and 12, even if I accidentally, I think we've all, I mean, I have a very limited um, food plan, um, but at the same time, that's my freedom. Um, And I think we've all gone to restaurants or people's houses and they say something's not in it and it's in it. So you get triggered and then you have to deal with it. I think that's a reality. No matter, I mean, I really go above and beyond to protect myself, but sometimes that's happened to me in the past. And it's amazing how when I'm triggered, it's not just the food. It's not just that I want to eat. I actually want to restrict. I think I look fat. I, all of a sudden, I have complete dysmorphia, anxiety, and all of these things that come with the phenomenon of craving. So that just tells me that this is what I have, and this also puts me in a position to look at other people that I've dealt with in the past or people that I'm dealing with now and to recognize that they have a disease and they're seeing through a lens that I'm not seeing through. So I'll go ahead and pass with that, but that's always very helpful to me. Thank you. Perfect.
0: Thank you, Gracie. R. Uh, okay, Melanie C.
10: Hey, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Whether or not I completely understood these two paragraphs as I went along the way, the idea that I couldn't, uh, that, that did not believe that it was a problem of mental control, I didn't know if I really quite understood that because I thought that I had lots of mental control. I had the ability to lie enough to myself to say that I was a strong person, I could think things through. I had this ability to be intelligent enough to see around the corner and all these kinds of things. What I couldn't see is that I didn't really see the outcome of all that sort of thing. You know, my life crashed in on me at a very, very early age. I wanted really badly to do a lot of things. I have a memory of being in primary school. of, of I was told, you know, Melanie, if you would do this, then you can have that. And I would, with all my might, want to, and I would tell myself I was doing it. And then when it wasn't given to me, I told myself I was ripped off, somebody else was better, they liked them more, um, and then I did everything that I could possibly do. I couldn't see. So there's more to this than mental control. There was the piece of my mind that couldn't see what it couldn't see that compounded the situation that made things worse, that brought me to where I'm at today, and thank God there was a solution. What had to come in alignment for me was on top of these decades of belief systems that I had of being a sloth, a glutton, lazy, you know, mental loafer and all those kinds of things, uh, oddly enough, to try to motivate myself to do something more, that I had to be agreeable to follow a methodology to the T that I wasn't able to do before or willing to do before. You know, as soon as I got an emotion, I was forced to go back and do something else for that. I can see. I remember one time when I was out weeding a yard just a few years back, and um, and it makes me almost shake to think about it, and then almost smile in a sense because of the miracle that's happened in my life. But I was just weeding like 10 feet of a garden space, and i get a little bit, and then this constant barrage of conversation, constant barrage of conversation, and i get anxious, and I'd almost stand up again to run in the house, and then I'd sit back down, okay, one more weed, let's do this deal, let's do this debate, let's do this trickery thing on you, one more weed, just pull one more weed, and then you'll be okay, your esteem will be okay, everything will be great. And then my mind kept going back into what was in the refrigerator. I don't know why. I don't know why. I was on one of my greatest diets, quite frankly, at the time. I don't know why. But before I finished that 10 feet, I was in the house twice. In the house twice to try to find something. And I don't know even what. I don't know what because there isn't that one thing. There isn't that one thing because there's no one thing for the itch on myself. Never could scratch it. So, thanks so much for this time. But I just want to wrap with identifying in the condition is treatable. Find somebody that will help you walk through it, and hold your hand. Keep your feet to the fire, and and then surround yourself with fellowship. And a like path Thanks.
0: Thank you, Melanie C. I think we're going to end with uh, Melanie's comment. And I want to thank everyone who has shared. I have a two, no, I have one. Tuesday, this morning, December 5th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,756. That's 10,756. So at this time, I am going to please ask um, Elaine T., if she would close with the reading, just this part of the meeting, stay for the newcomers and et cetera, sponsors. Um, we're just going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Okay, Elaine T., please go ahead.
9: Thanks, Janice. This is Elaine T., Recovered Just for Today in Pennsylvania. Our book is meant to be suggestive only